Eisenberg on WHMP. This is indeed Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I am Buzz Eisenberg. And Bill, I wanted to just point out, yesterday we had Packy Wheeland and Priscilla Lynch of the Connecticut River Defenders talk about Sunday's uh, planned rally at the Northfield Pumping Station to protest relicensing. Well, that's been canceled because of inclement weather that's in the forecast, and it's going to be rescheduled for May. And I just wanted to alert any listeners, don't go on Sunday unless you want to do a wet rally on your own. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime, and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. This is our monthly time with Dan Crowley, who is the executive editor of the Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Greenfield Recorder, and the Athol Daily News. Thanks so much for being with us again, Dan. We really appreciate your time. I want to start with the story that, I guess from a newspaper person's point of view, is the story that keeps on giving but is actually very serious in a number of ways, and that is what is happening with East Hampton School Superintendent Search. Top of the fold, front page, Daily Hampshire Gazette, alleged transphobic rhetoric sank finalist. Students' letter, that's students' plural letter, alleged super finalist advocated online against trans girls playing high school sports, another uh, really fine piece of reporting by Emily Thurlow, who is the, whose who's beat is East Hampton, yes? Yeah, it is. Uh, East Hampton, South Hampton, and West Hampton. And I would like to uh, ask about how the story is presented in today's Gazette. And let me, let me I'm not going to go back and redo the, and rehash the entire story about what has happened with the East Hampton School Superintendent search. But I am really interested in how the paper goes about trying to keep this story uh, neutral in terms of its reporting. And by that, I mean this. Uh, The story, for those of our listeners who don't know what is in today's Gazette already, uh, the second finalist, uh, Erica Fajinski-Stark, withdrew her application for the school superintendent in East Hampton position after uh, a couple of Facebook posts that she had made in 2021 came to light on account of a letter sent to East Hampton Mayor Nicole LaChapelle from the high school's Gender and Sexuality Alliance Club, members of that club. And they pointed out these two Facebook posts. Uh, the Facebook posts are connected to a conservative and, it would appear, uh, transphobic uh, website. But what is stated in her posts themselves and in these particular uh, links is an argument that girls and women who compete and compete at very high levels are disadvantaged by trans women competing in the same sports on account of trans women having a biological, sometimes having a biological advantage. And it is, to me, uh, a, a, an argument that I would like to have women and trans women and uh, women athletes uh, uh, have, and we can have that on this, sh- this show, and I hope we will. But it seems to me that it's hard to present this story because uh, Eric. Erica Fenginski-Stark was making an argument, I'm a women athlete. I compete 
I really worked in this all my life, and it's unfair to uh, women born biologically as women to have to compete against trans women. We need to stand up for women. That was her argument. I'm, I'm not taking a position with regard to whether it's right or wrong at this point. I under, and I understand how taking that position can get a person in league with some really bad actors and transphobes. Got it. But it's not necessarily that at all. So I ask you, Dan Crowley, as the editor, how does the Gazette go about making a headline and a subhead and reporting a story that is so fraught uh, that simply mentioning the words puts a cast on it? Well, the biggest thing is what we're trying to do is tell the story of the superintendent search in East Hampton. And this has now become part of the story. Um, and this is, as you said, this is a story that is, uh, it's, it's a sensitive story. It's, um, <clears throat> it's, uh, th there are multiple perspectives in it and w we're trying to do the best we can to be, to be as fair as we can in, in presenting what the developments have been in, in the superintendent search. Um, these, this correspondence is now actually posted online by the school committee. Um, so it's it's available <coughs> for the public, um, and you know we had a second <coughs> a second candidate who who was offered the position and very um, quickly uh, withdrew. Um, our beat reporter Emily Thurlow, who's been on this story from start uh, from the start uh, till now, who's done a I think a tremendous job. Um, reporting. And we should point out has been cited by the Boston Globe, the New York Times, internationally as well. I mean, the Gazette's reporting has really been picked up. Yeah, it's been first rate reporting, but and it has been acknowledged as such by the the fact that other major news news outlets are quoting the Gazette. But Bill, I just want to amplify your question, which is exactly the, the right question, I think. How do you maintain objectivity when the story is so fraught with subjectivity? It's really difficult. Right. Well, this, this story is driven by, by a perspective and a point of view and, and concerns that the students had uh, and that brought, they brought to the mayor. And, and we've tried uh, in presenting the story to, to be as fair. I mean, some of that headline is in quotes. Um, those, those are not, that's not our editorial point of view. Um, and, uh, you know, the subhead is, is, uh, really just pretty straightforward as a letter, letter alleging, uh, the, the superintendent advocated online for, <coughs> uh, trans girls playing high school sports, um, which, which is also a perspective. Here's. Here's my question for you, I, and I, I uh, am empathetic with the position of how do you do this. The headline is alleged, single quote, transphobic rhetoric, and single quote, which is the way of doing a quote in a headline, right. sank finalist. I don't think most people, including myself this morning when I first saw the headline, really saw the quotes or really acknowledged necessarily where they came from. I mean, the headline, leaving out the quote for a minute, because uh, that's the allegation, transphobic rhetoric. Transphobic means it's hatred of, peop of trans people. That's what it is. Or an this, irrational fear. Okay. It's not necessarily hatred of, of trans people or trans women to say, wait a second, who should be competing in women's athletics? I mean, th that's, that's an argument that uh, people can have in good faith. And it seems to me that um, Erica Fajinski-Stark is now forever, forever going to be tainted 
by this kind of uh, allegation or reputation. And, and, and I, I, I have no idea whether that's true. I assume that the East Hampton School Committee did not have an inkling of that or they wouldn't have offered her the job. So any thoughts about how the long-term uh, effects of this will play out, whether that should or can or does affect the reporting and how it's presented in the paper, Dan Crowley? Yeah, I think, well, not, not having reported on this, I think we, you know, our role is to explain to the public and the, and the community of East Hampton what's happened here with this, with this latest development in the superintendent search. And, and this, as I said, uh, this is something the school committee has now put out in, in, in their public documents. And, and, um, and it, I, I do think it would have been great if we could have uh, heard from the superintendent finalist for this story. Emily tried to, made you know, several attempts over a couple of days to, to try to connect with her. Uh, and that, that's always an important part of the reporting. Editor Dan Crowley, I just, I just want to add this one, because I, I think your reporting has been incredible, and as Bill said, Emily Thurlow has done an incredible job. What I would have liked to have had in this story was the posting, because the original posting focused on inclusivity and uh, uh, you know making sure that um, the superintendent candidate understood that the community wants an inclusive superintendent. So it's in that context that I think that this quote-unquote transphobic rhetoric mm -hmm. um, might have been seen as a disqualifier for people. And I, I wonder about that as part of the story as well. What were they looking for? What, what was who looking for? Oh, I'm sorry. In response to what Bill was just saying, that is, this is a legitimate debate whether mm -hmm. or not there's a competitive disadvantage for people who were born in, yeah. in this case, you know. Yeah as a male and then wants to compete against females, does that present a, a, you know, a competitive disadvantage? But that might not be the question if, in fact, the original posting was calling for somebody who was, they were looking for inclusivity on the part of this candidate. Um, so, but, I, but I don't understand that. I mean, uh, this, her, her point, and I, I'm not trying to defend it, the substance of it, but the point that uh, it appears that Erica Vajinsky Stark was making was, uh, I'm standing up for women. I'm standing up for inclusivity. I mean, I'm, and I, I mean that's the argument she, she would make or her defenders would make. Um, so that that it seems to me is the point. And the, you're talking about the original posting for the job position itself as superintendent. Is, yes. And the point would be that if you are opposed to. Uh, trans women or trans girls competing in women's sports, that that's transphobic and not not consistent with the job posting for a superintendent who values inclusivity? That's the critique, I think, that was embodied in the letters that the mayor received. Yeah, I, th I think the city and the school community are going to be the ones that ultimately decide what, what they want in a superintendent. And they've gone through two finalists now, and, and now they're, I think, meeting next week to go from here. Yeah, and there, we should point out there is there was a third finalist. <laughs> I'm not sure that anyone really. Hi, I'd like to be the third one to be offered this job. I don't know about that. Listen, I, I would like to know about this, Dan Crowley. I was struck as we noted just before we went on the air about the uh, part of the post which has now been taken down, the Facebook post by Erica Vajinsky Stark, that said, "This, ladies, the glass ceiling." is more real now than it's been in generations. 
the irony of the post starting that way, given uh, the brouhaha over the use of the word ladies, when you report that, uh, is there a temptation or some obligation to note the irony of that use of the word ladies at that point, or you just do it as straight out, this is what happened, and basically not refer back to the use of the word ladies uh, by uh, uh, the first the first finalist for this position? Well, to answer your question, it, it, it's not our place to have a perspective on that and to editorialize on that in a, in a news story. So um, that's a passage from um, one of the Facebook posts and, and, and we're just, we're putting out there what, what the comments are that were cited by the students that were of concern. Um, and our editorial pages, uh, this is, you know, this story has also filled up our editorial pages with letters and, and opinions. And I will say we, we have to make sure that they're as fair and civil as they can be. Uh, people have a, a perspective. This is a story where people are commenting beyond East Hampton. Um, we've, we've had letters and even columns from outside uh, Hampshire County. Uh, we've had people from other countries tuning into the school committee Zoom sessions. Uh, so we're, we're um, just making sure that whatever <coughs> people have a, uh, an opportunity and a right to voice um, their perspectives on this, but we need to make sure that it meets our... our uh, Standards. So, okay, leaving aside uh, some uh, interesting rhetoric that will not be shared with the readership at large uh, by the Daily Hampshire Gazette, I actually would like to know how the Gazette goes about giving a fair perspective of the not only the kinds of letters and emails that it receives, but how it represents them proportionally. I mean, do you worry if I got 10 letters uh, on one side and two on the other, do you point print one and one or you print four and one? How do you do that? Well, we've had a couple days where we've devoted a good chunk of the editorial page to this story. And so we'll have, uh, you know, we'll get a letter in that uh, has a, a certain point of view on this. And, and it's not like it goes in the paper the next day. We have a, f a few things that letters and columns that build up. And with this particular story, there's been a real diversity of opinion. Um, and uh, we've, we've dedicated a few... Uh, of our, you know, a good portion of our editorial page to those letters and, and columns, and they've reflected that. Uh, they haven't been all, in, you know, from one point of view. I have more questions on this. We also have to take a break. We're going to be right back when we talk more about this topic with Dan Crowley right after this. If you know people who know me you might want them to speak To tell you about the girl or the woman they know More than you think you know about me You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Anif Abdurraqib comes to Smith Tuesday the 25th from his lyric essay, Defiance Ohio is the Name of a Band. And it is the kind of town that will hold you under its tongue until it is ready to swallow you whole. The Poetry Center of Smith College presents Hanif Abdurraqib, a reading and conversation, Tuesday, April 25th at 7 o'clock. Prolific poet and essayist Hanif Abdurraqib reads from his latest book, A Little Devil in America. Broadside Bookshop will be there with Hanif's books. 
For 50 years, the Center for Women and Community has provided trauma-informed leadership and advocacy services, including 24-hour free and confidential support for survivors and their loved ones throughout Hampshire County. April is National Sexual Assault Awareness Month. CWC is here for you. If you've been impacted by violence, call the Sexual Assault Support and Advocacy Hotline for information, support, and resources. Learn about volunteer and professional staff opportunities at umass.edu slash CWC. Come on over to the co-op, the Greenfield Cooperative Bank. At Greenfield Cooperative Bank, it pays to get pre-approved. If you're looking to buy a home, right now is the perfect time to save up to $1,250 on your mortgage closing costs. We make it easy to apply online at bestlocalbank.com or at any of our branch locations. Our local, experienced mortgage team is happy to walk you through the process so you can get in your new home as quickly and as easily as possible. So apply online or come see us in person and receive a $750 closing credit plus an additional $500 when we pre-approve you. Close by September 30th, be a new first-time mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Dan Crowley, who is the executive editor of the Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Greenfield Recorder, and the Athol Daily News. For those listeners who are saying, hey, we have a lot of white guys uh, talking about all of this. I understand that. I understand it's not a perfect setup, but it's who we are and what we have. Dan Crowley, you had a question and brought up a topic during the break. Uh, with Dan Crowley. A lot of Dan's here. Let Dan's. One Dan to another Dan. Okay. My question was this. Uh, You said earlier on the show that you get a lot of submissions on a lot of topics, especially on what's going on with East uh, East Hampton. Right. Uh, How do you decide which uh, letters to publish? And do you... Edit, uh, change the letters that you, that are submitted in case those letters are, let's say, transphobic or mean-spirited or really nasty. Well, we try to get everybody's submissions published that we can. Uh, people have taken the time to write a letter. This is this is all the news that fits. We print. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> they've taken the time to write a letter or a column, and uh, we want to make sure that they're able to to voice that. Um, we just to start we have guidelines for length letters you know 350 words columns the guidelines 750 ish words um but the 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 editorial page it's a place for it's the people's page but it needs to be fair it needs to be civil uh we don't make substantive changes to letters and columns we do but we're going to have a conversation with the author and explain why why we think uh, something needs to be changed or we have questions. Uh, we, we, we keep our, do our very best to keep name-calling off, uh, off the editorial page. So a quick follow-up. Does that mean you and other journalists would get together in a room and decide how to reach out to this individual um, uh, specifically, or how does that work? a lot of people. I have, uh, I'm the opinion page editor, so I'm, I'm really the one that's been uh, vetting the, the letters and columns, but I do have another editor that helps me with that. Okay. All. Back to the question of what if there is a overwhelming or at least a substantial majority of letters to the editor on one side and 
fewer and proportionally fewer on the other side of an issue. Do you make a judgment as to uh, how to present those on the page on a given day? We'll have, if it's two to one, we'll have two on one side and one on the other, or is that not part of the equation? No, it's part of the equation. Um, you kind of get a sense after doing this for a while that you, there's going to be some stories and you know you're going to get letters and columns about it before they even start. <laughs> um, but I think... What was your first hint on this story? <laughs> <laughs> but I think um, we do try to, as I, as I was mentioning, uh, if I didn't say it uh, earlier, um, with this particular story in East Hampton, we've had a diversity of opinion and we've de dedicated a few uh, pages to to that, um, we've had some stories in the past where um, some some of our readers didn't like the coverage, and they let us know about it. And we've had a um, you know half a page of letters that were all kind of one leaning in one way. So sometimes it goes that way, and you don't have you have a real minority of perspective. But we do try to um, uh, present that that diversity of opinion on a particular story um, that, that readers have. And, and, and we will hold some letters because we know some more are coming in so that so that, that can be reflected on the opinion page. And I may write a, a, a letter to you about a letter I actually had read as well in the newspaper, right? That's yeah. allowed. Yeah, we have a lot of people um, commenting on, sometimes, a lot of times it'll happen with columnists. Mm. Um, we have a columnist, Tolly Jones in East Hampton, who gets quite a bit of... Uh, of reader feedback and, and letters. Her columns will also run on the Greenfield Recorder as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and her, her columns are terrific, and they're really interesting and really provocative and I think very personal and moving. Mm -hmm. So congratulations. So, I, so I, are yours, Bills. Well, thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan, and thank you, Dan, or whichever Dan. <laughs> Listen, I, I want to go back to the news covering coverage part of this. There are so many aspects of the story still to be written, as in how did the East Hampton School Committee not do a social media search with regard to all of the candidates, at least the finalists. Uh, uh, what is the process by which you get to these finalists? Um, what, what about the uh, informing or the lack of informing the school committee immediately, uh, the, although the mayor took immediate action? I mean, there are different aspects of this. How do you decide what you're going to cover next? Because there are lots, there's lots to report on, to investigate and to report on. Well, I don't know that the school committee didn't do a social media search, um, but... That's true. I don't know that either. Yes. Yeah, sometimes uh, those questions will come up through a newsroom discussion of what, what are some unanswered questions here as we continue to report on the story. And other times we have uh, people in the community contacting us saying, hey... I don't, I don't get this. How come you haven't answered this question in this story? So that will, that's another avenue um, where we get feedback about, um, you know, and, and we serve our readers. And, you know, we'll, we'll try to get that question answered for you in our next story. For me? All for me? No. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Crowley, final word you want to tell us about on this before we run? On this particular on, story? On this story. We'll give you a final one. It's, it's know, an important position. It's an important story. Um, pressure. I, let me ask you this yeah. in the half minute. Pressure on the Gazette because you are being quoted, because Emily Throw's story is being quoted nationally and internationally. Does it change anything? No. No, I don't think so. I think uh, it's, it's, it's really been interesting to see how much this uh, particular uh, city story has got the attention of people outside the region.
It's a cultural, it's a cultural moment. I, I feel like I, I hear about it discussed on television. It's being debated. There are multiple sides to these issues. So it just happens to be that this is happening right here in East Hampton, and I think it's capturing the the national conversation. Yeah, is what I think. Final question: Are you Dan Crawley going to apply as superintendent in East Hampton? Is that true? <laughs> okay, we have, sure re- we, have we have reached we have we have reached the point where Dan Crowley is now saying no comment and <laughs> where did my sense of humor go? Dan Crowley, thanks so much for being with us. All every right, month. thanks, thanks really for appreciate me. it. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. More details are coming to light about the withdrawal of Erica Faginski-Stark's candidacy for superintendent of East Hampton Schools. The Gazette reports that on April 10th, a member of the high school's Gender and Sexuality Alliance Club contacted the mayor's office with extreme concerns. The student flagged a Facebook account that contained posts of what they described as conservative transphobic rhetoric. The posts were allegedly made by Faginski-Stark, and the account has since been removed. The school committee's next meeting is slated for Tuesday, April 25th. The estimated cost of a renovation of Main Street in Northampton is skyrocketing. Originally, the project, which aims to improve traffic flow and make sidewalk and streets safer for cyclists, had a budget of $16.6 million. Now, as prices rise, the estimated budget is more than $19 million. Project costs also increased due to the aging water infrastructure underneath Main Street, which now needs to be updated. The project is funded through MassDOT's Transportation Improvement Program, with the city only required to pay for the project design. MassDOT will host a virtual hearing to discuss the street redesign on April 26th at 6 p.m. Holyoke Community College is receiving the largest gift in the school's history. A 1958 graduate of HCC has pledged to donate over $10 million to the school. Margaret Wentland and her husband Gary have included the school in their estate plan. According to a news release, the bequest is the largest single gift commitment in the college's 77-year history and one of the largest gifts ever to any community college. Partly to mostly sunny today, a light breeze, a little warmer, a high of 62 to 66. Variable clouds tonight, evening temperatures, upper 50s and low 60s, and then an overnight low of 38 to 44. Partly to mostly sunny tomorrow, 72 to 76. Mostly cloudy on Saturday, chance for a sprinkle on a high of 70. 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This news update in Spanish is brought to you by our friends at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rochivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El presidente de la Cámara de Representantes, Kevin McCarthy, se comprometió el lunes a aprobar una legislación para aumentar el techo de la deuda de la nación, pero solo con la condición de limitar los futuros aumentos del gasto federal al 1%, mientras criticaba al presidente Joe Biden por negarse a participar en negociaciones de recorte presupuestario para evitar una crisis de deuda. En un discurso de alto perfil en la Bolsa de Valores de Nueva York, McCarthy, el líder republicano que cumplía 100 días como vocero de la Cámara, dijo que la carga de la deuda de la nación es una bomba de relojería y que Biden está desaparecido mientras se acerca la fecha límite para elevar el límite de endeudamiento. Pero la propia capacidad de McCarthy para llevar a cabo su plan como se prometió es muy incierta. La aprobación de la Cámara podría servir como una tarjeta de presentación para presionar a Biden a negociar. Dado que el presidente sigue ocultándose, los republicanos de la Cámara tomarán medidas, prometió McCarthy. En otras informaciones, y sin citar una razón, el juez de Delaware que supervisa la demanda por difamación de 1.6 mil millones de dólares de una compañía de máquinas de votación contra Fox News, anunció el domingo por la noche que retrasaría el inicio del juicio hasta el martes. 
El juicio que ha atraído el interés internacional estaba programado para comenzar el lunes por la mañana con la selección del jurado y declaraciones de apertura. El caso se centra en si Fox difamó a Dominion Voting Systems al difundir afirmaciones falsas de que la compañía manipuló las elecciones presidenciales de 2020 para evitar la reelección del expresidente Donald Trump. Los registros producidos como parte de la demanda muestran que muchos de los anfitriones y ejecutivos de Fox no creyeron las acusaciones, pero las ventilaron de todos modos. Yo soy Johan Rashivega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This news update in Spanish has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. It was a gorgeous night last night. Gorgeous. The stars, the planets were amazing. And I came home to see this announcement of an, ex an event that we should all know about because it allows us all locally to share in the cosmos. And we have with us this morning James Lowenthal, who is a professor of astronomy at Smith College, who is part of a group that wants to let us know about what the cosmos can show us and what we can see. James Lowenthal, Professor Lowenthal, has with him and us this morning a classroom of Smith College students who are studying cos cosmology. And wow. So let's start with what's happening at Historic Northampton, I believe, tomorrow, tomorrow evening. Yes, James? That's exactly right. Yes, Bill. Thank you so much for having us on the show today. Uh, tomorrow is Northampton Night Fest from 8.30 to 9.30 at Historic Northampton, a celebration of the beauty and magic of the night. And we hope everybody will come. Families are welcome. Kids are welcome. We'll enjoy the stars if the stars are out. If it's cloudy, we'll just listen and uh, and and smell and be sensitive to what's happening at night, which is usually a magical thing. Well, the weather report is actually really good. The stars last night, the planets were amazing. I was just blown away at what you could see with the naked eye. Are we going to have uh, telescopes there at Historic Northampton? You're going to give us a talk on what we can see with the naked eye. What's going to happen? We'll have a couple of telescopes, but really, Bill, it's just what you say. You know, it's the it's the gorgeousness of the night that you can appreciate with just your natural gifts of sight and smell and sound will do mostly naked eye observing. And when you point out to us what we're looking at is, are we going to be looking, you're going to be pointing out planets, stars, uh, individual stars, various constellations, what? There's always something to see as long as it, even when it's cloudy, there's something to see. You can look at the weather, which is what astronomers tend to do in their spare time when, you know, they can't observe. But when it's clear, there's always something to see. We'll see uh, clusters of stars. Uh, we'll see galaxies. We'll see um, uh, we'll see the planet Venus, which is spectacularly brilliant right now, and it's right next to the Pleiades, which is a, a famous cluster of stars that uh, our ancestors for thousands of years have folded into their cosmology and their and their star stories. Do you like the star apps? that we can now put on our phones to say, here's what you're looking at? Sure. Yeah, you know, I, I think they're a perfectly good introduction and guide. And let me just ask my students, how many of you have star apps of some sort? And I see a good half of the class have their hands up. They're very popular and they're very useful. 
I'd like to know. Do you have some students right there? Can you share? Can you sh- good. I'd like to know. Uh, I don't know their names. I apologize in advance. I'd like to hear from one or two of why they're taking your course. Uh, and without putting them on the spot and whether it's a good course, whether they like it, how their grades, that sort of thing. But, you know, I'd like to know why they're taking the course. Sure. We can ask why they signed up, regardless of whether that panned out or not. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Yeah, go ahead. Who wants to uh, share a word? Nubia, go ahead. And we are live, so we should do this quickly. Let's have a volunteer. Uh, just, shout out. just shout out, Nubia. And anybody else come up close? Oh, oh. Hi. Okay, um, get closer to the mic if you can, or closer to the computer. Oh, okay, hi. Um, so what? I'm Nubia, and I'm basically taking, well, I'm taking the course because I'm a physics and astronomy major. Um, so it is technically required, but I mean, I guess by extension, I'm taking the course because I have loved like astronomy since I was a little kid. And, you know, I just think it's super interesting, and I've always been fascinated by the planets and like distant galaxies and like what makes the universe work. So, and that's what we're learning. So it's pretty fulfilling, it's epic. Wow, can we, I'd like to hear from one other student and while we're passing the mic there for a moment, I, I, when you, will, you, will you do this for me? When you find out what makes the universe work, will you give me a call? That's a big yes. <laughs> okay, that, I think that was a positive <laughs> response. Let's, let's, Let's hear from another Hi. student. Hi, what's your name? Allison. Okay, Allison. Tell us what you're tell us what you're learning, why it matters in this course. Well We're learning about like just intro cosmology, how like astronomers talk about the structure of the universe, um, a lot of cosmological parameters and like just how the universe is shaped on the largest scales, how we know it, how measurements are made. We started with a lot of, I think my favorite part of the course was just learning how astronomers measure distance, how they, oh, those distance measurements were extended to further and further distances, like building off of each other, just based on only being able to see and not experiment. Um, Like discoveries with relationships between the variations of star brightness and how that you can learn the the brightness of the star if you were standing next to it from that variation. And then if you know that, you know how distance affects that so you can get the distance from that, those kinds of information. Um, I just think it's a really cool class. Do you like just gazing up at the stars, at the sky at night? Is that something you do? Uh, no, usually at nighttime I'm in my dorm working with the lights on. <laughs> <laughs> and from her response earlier, obviously she's working well. Yeah, well, 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 some of these questions, some of my questions work better than others. <laughs> Listen, I'd like to thank you all very much for joining us this morning. Uh, Professor Lowenthal, would you tell us please one more time what time, where we go for those who don't know, and... Uh, again, this is tomorrow evening, Friday at Historic Northampton. So help our listeners know where to go. Uh, by the way, if you haven't heard one of the James Lowenthal's talks, you really want to do yourself the favor of doing this. James? Thank you, Bill, so much. And again, thanks for having us on. It's Northampton Night Fest tomorrow, Friday, April 21st from 830 to 930 at Historic Northampton, which is at 46 Bridge Street in Northampton, right across from the post office. We'll probably have stars and the sounds of the night and maybe bugs, bats, birds, fuzzy critters. And we will read Mayor Shiara's 
official proclamation officially recognizing this as Northampton International Dark Sky Week. Thanks, Bill. Thank you all so very much. And to all your class, thank you all so very much for joining us. I, you are lucky people, in my opinion, to have James Lowenthal as a professor. Thank you, James. Really, really appreciate your time and your We're class. We're the lucky ones. Thanks, Bill. Bye. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Meltdown, the annual spring music and book bash for kids and their grown-ups. Brought to you by The River and Mass General Brigham's Cooley Dickinson Hospital. Saturday, April 22nd, Meltdown is at Hawks and Reed in downtown Greenfield for a day of free family fun. 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., rain or shine. Live music and authors on the Hawks and Reed main stage with Carrie Ferguson and the Grumpy Town Club Band, the Deedle Deedle Dees, and Puppets with Tom Knight, along with great local authors like Sue Fuller, Ty Allen Jackson, and Mira Bartok. Outside on Court Square, the amazing acrobatics of the Show City Circus, Birds of Prey with Tom Riccardi, adorable dogs from Heroes Boarding and Training, and enjoy great local food from Cocina Lupita, Holyoke Thomas and Bart's Ice Cream. Meltdown, brought to you with the support of Mass General Brigham's Cooley Dickinson Hospital. Saturday, April 22nd, inside and outside Hawks and Reed in downtown Greenfield. It's rain or shine, and it's free. See you there. Have you ever gone swimming with a polar bear, scuba dived with crocodiles? Almost Nahum has, and his nature photography has made him the BBC's Wildlife Photographer of the Year twice. Now he's coming to Northampton's Academy of Music for an Earth Day show Saturday, April 22nd. He'll share his breathtaking images, the thrilling stories behind the photos, and his message of harmony with the natural world. Visit aomtheater.com to get your tickets today for Almost Nahum, funded in part by the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism, and visit Hampshire County. One word, $1,000. The easiest contest starts Monday at 8 on 101.5 and 1240 WHMP. A little bit of hammering and a little bit of humoring. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Home improvement ideas and advice. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Sundays at noon, 101.5, 1400. WHMP. Now I'm a believer. I'm a trace. Put out in my mind. I'm in love. This is our usual Thursday segment, Have Faith, and our regular guest for this particular Thursday of the month is Michael McSherry, the Reverend at the Edwards Church in Northampton. Reverend McSherry, thank you so much for being with us. We were talking just before we came on the air during the last break. Uh, we were talking about guns and deaths. And I actually would like to explore with you your perspective with regard to the morality, the ethics, and what teachings there may be biblically about the mm -hmm. gun violence that we are experiencing in the United States, the massive number and it is massive, of uh, deaths caused by guns and the number of mass shootings and killings. And I think that a perspective from a 
person of faith might help us come to grips with this. At least I'm hoping so. So I'd appreciate your perspective. Michael McSherry? First of all, thank you, Bill, for, for having me um, today and, and on a monthly basis. Uh, the sign in front of my church currently reads, Love Your Neighbor and Gun Violence. We've recently had two particularly, um, boy, unfortunate, so understates it, but um, outrageous um, shootings, one resulting in a death and one very serious injury. I'm speaking, of course, of the um, young black man who was shot for going to the wrong house to pick up his siblings and the young white woman who pulled into the wrong driveway in upstate New York. Um, these were people who were shot uh, because the homeowner jumped to a conclusion or resented their presence. We don't really know um, the internal workings of the shooter's thinking. Um, both were older, as in 64 and I think 83-year-old white men. Um, as the, I think, statistically the majority of shooters tend to be uh, white men. But, um, you know, if we had this level of carnage um, from other sources, we'd be, uh, pardon the expression, screaming bloody murder. Uh, it's outrageous that we allow the carnage to continue simply uh, because we have elevated ownership and use of firearms um, in an idolatrous matter. Uh, in in the two traditions, religious traditions I'm most familiar with, Christianity and Judaism, um, share um, share as a as a prime directive, if you will. Um, you know, when you ask what is the most important uh, commandment or moral directive, it's to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So if you're if you're valuing above all else your relationship to the um, creative force in the universe and to your neighbors, you wouldn't shoot them for ringing your doorbell. You wouldn't shoot them for pulling into your driveway. And that's for me sort of the moral ethical foundation. You know, I, there's lots of policy debates to have about the availability of guns and whether or not they should be regulated more than they are, and so on and so forth. But I just want to first observe that it is a profoundly sad state of affairs that we're in, and I think it is a moral outrage. I agree, but I also am struck by the fact that many of the proponents of firearms and the right to have a semi-automatic gun, the right to have a military-style weapon, the the all of those. I'm going to say all of those. I'm, I'm overstating this, but many of those individuals, I think, would also profess to being devout Christians, born again Christians. Um, yeah. how, how do you reconcile that? That well, I, I I can't reconcile that, and and. Um... I want to, this is maybe counterintuitive, but I want to get in a room with them and say, lay that out for me. 
explain to me how you square those those two assertions because I I can't. But many do. I mean, it seems to me that uh, you know it reminds me a little bit of uh, soldiers on either side of a of a dividing line for war, and they're about to do battle, and they're both sides are praying to God for victory. So, you know, it's it, 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 you know, I, I, help me understand this. It's the same. It's the same. Allegedly, the same religion with the same moral moral basis, coming to vastly different conclusions about what is important in order yeah. to treat life sacredly. Right. And um, my personal opinion is that we have um, valorized, I said idolized, and I meant it. We've made an idol out of um, the gun and gun ownership. And, and we have said that, you know, my individual right, your individual right, anyone's individual right to own and use a firearm is more important than many other things. And um, I, I told you that one of the other topics I didn't like to pursue either today or in the future is the corrosive effect on our society of our increasing isolation from each other. That's not just a, um, a mental health, um, nice to have sort of thing. I think that in my lifetime, and this, I think, is documented by the sociologists and others. We are all suffering a loss of interpersonal relationships that are low intensity, but tie us to our community. And we are suffering a loss of low intensity um, relationships with people that we don't agree with. And our increasing isolation into Red, so-called red states and blue states into zip codes that are increasingly homogenized is making it harder for us to relate to people we don't agree with. Compromise used to be easier because it was normative. Now it's normative to bat each other over the rhetorical head with arguments that nobody listens to but only rehearses. I... What I'm struck by, by what you're saying, Reverend McSherry, is that we as individuals, I would suggest, can make intellectual and policy judgments mm -hmm. much more easily if we're debating with someone who we see as a human being. Yes. And if we don't really see them as people, but just as vessels for an, an, an objectionable ideology, we can't ever actually communicate or come to some understanding because we don't see them as people. It's like the red coat uh, in, in, in Schindler's List when yeah. the Nazis see the girl as a person. It's a red coat. Oh, my God, it's a person. We don't really see political opponents as people anymore. And I'm wondering if there is something that you see, a place for religion and organized religion that you see to try to uh, reconcile that extraordinary divide. 
I would love to, and and I, I do see the potential. Um, there's an awful lot of climbing down required first. What do you mean by that? Well, we've all become perhaps a little overskilled at shaping our arguments, and uh, less skilled at listening to the other person and where they might be coming from. Um, and I'm not saying that that's a panacea, but um, at a basic human level, um, when when I imagine what that man who lived down the long driveway in upstate New York, what what possessed him to bring a firearm outside and shoot into a car without even greeting the people in it without waiting to find out what they were doing in his driveway. What possessed that man inside apparently a closed door because there was a bullet hole in his storm door? What possessed that man in, um, in the Midwest to open fire on a young black man who just happened to be standing on his front porch? There was no attempt to find out why you're here. What are you doing on, in each case, on my doorstep, literally or figuratively? We don't slow down to find out who the human being is anymore. Do you see in your spiritual life a change that has been brought upon you, your congregation, or the country uh, on account of this gun violence and the prominence and uh, proliferation of it? I don't see a direct connection between the gun violence and spiritual life other than it is an aspect of United States culture and churches as gathered bodies of people and individual persons, whatever their their spiritual life might be, um, live in the world. And so <laughs> the part of the world we live in is the United States, and the United States has this disease, so we're all affected by it. Let me go back to something you said just a few moments ago, Reverend Michael McSherry from the Edwards Church here in Northampton. You said you'd like to get in a room with those persons yeah. who are proponents of guns and and mm -hmm. want, want to hear their rationale for why they need to own military-style weapons and why it's so important yeah. to be able to shoot off 30 rounds in a second or two. If you had the chance, and this does remind me of this uh, hands, hands across the divide with people from right. Leverett going down to uh, Appalachia and them coming... Hands across the hills, yeah. I, mean, I meant across the hills, I'm sorry. That's, that's what I meant. That's okay. Um, if you had the chance, what would you want to say to them? Well, I would I would start out by um, offering them the information that I grew up with guns in the house. You know, my father had a 12 gauge shotgun, a 410, a 22 rifle, and a 38 revolver, and he offered all of his children the opportunity to learn how to use them safely. But you know, back in the mid century and and the, the later mid century. Um, the NRA was a gun safety organization. Their most prominent activity was educating people how to use firearms safely, not advocating for the manufacturers to be able to sell 
high-powered semi-automatic weapons to every person who wanted one. Um, I would, I would, you know, I would start off by saying I'm not trying to take away your right to hunt, but why do we need more weapons than there are people in the country? Well, I think on that question, we should leave it because it's, it is one of the most poignant questions before all of us and this country today. Reverend Michael McSherry, Senior Pastor of the Edwards Church, we really appreciate your time and insight with us every month. Thank you so very, very much. Stay well, Bill. Thank you. He laughed and kissed his mom and said, You're Billy Joe's a man. I can shoot as quick and straight as anybody can. But I wouldn't shoot without a cause. I'd gun nobody down. But she cried again as he rolled away. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday Downtown Sounds? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Downtown Sounds Workers Co-op, a music store with new and used instruments and lessons. Live online or live in person. First lessons free when you buy an instrument. Plus, repairs of musical instruments and equipment. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413 I'm Deborah Rodriguez. Mixed results for a historic space launch from the southern tip of Texas. SpaceX giant new rocket blasted off on its first test flight about a half an hour ago, but blew apart minutes later. Starship just experienced what we call a rapid unscheduled disassembly, or a RUD, during ascent. But now this was a development test. This is the first test flight of Starship. The biggest, most powerful rocket ever built was unmanned, and SpaceX had said it might take several tries before Starship succeeds at a test flight. The goal is to send people and cargo to the moon and eventually to Mars. Gun violence has touched the lives of a family in the South. Police in Gaston County, North Carolina, are looking for a man who allegedly shot and wounded his neighbors, a six-year-old girl and her parents, after their basketball rolled into his yard. I think the bullet came back and it hit me and the bullet went in, in my seat. District Attorney Travis Page. We'll be damn sure to be loud and clear uh, when this case comes to court. And the people of Gaston County will, will see and hear our commitment to that prosecution. Police are searching for a 24-year-old man in connection with the shooting. Jim Crisula, CBS News, Greensboro, North Carolina. Two people were killed when twin tornadoes tore through central Oklahoma. Addie is a student at Oklahoma Baptist University in Shawnee. There's just like trees uprooted, glasses shattered everywhere. There's a building that has like 
Part of it has a glass roof and that shattered. The National Weather Service Storm Prediction Center says another round of strong storms could tear through the region tonight. A new UNICEF report finds a lot of parents around the world stopped getting their kids vaccinated against childhood diseases like measles and polio over the past few years. The BBC's Imogene Folks. Maybe most insidious of all, we have linked to the pandemic a whole doubt that vaccines may in some way not be safe. This is April 20th, the day pot smokers and eaters celebrate their favorite weed. A new CBS YouGov poll finds Americans are becoming more accepting of people who use marijuana openly. 53% tell us they find it socially acceptable. 47% still do not. That is a shift from two years ago when it was an even split. And for Mickey D fans with a case of the munchies. Starting a week from today, Big Mac sauce will be available in little sauce cups, just like the barbecue or honey mustard or sweet and sour. That means you can dip any sandwich, fries, hash browns directly into a vat of the mayonnaise ketchupy relishy combo. Stacy Lynn, this is CBS News. Streamline how you hire with Indeed. Their powerful hiring platform makes it easy to attract, interview, and hire candidates all in the same place. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. Uh, da, da, da. Yes, we do have availability. Those dates for how many guests? Andrea's Boutique Hotel is the destination to tie the knot. Oh, you want the whole property. She needs an assistant to catch the bookings bouquets. 249 guests, huh? Oh, and three dogs. Indeed can help her hire great people fast. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. We instantly connect you with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply. Guys, fellas, men, are you Roman ready for the weekend? Right now, generic Viagra, a.k.a. Sildenafil, is just $4 per dose at Roman. Just complete a free online visit with a U.S. licensed healthcare professional. If medication is appropriate, Roman sends what you need in discreet packaging with two-day shipping. Generic Viagra from $4 at Roman. Go to row.co slash bed. Do it today and get 20% off your entire first order. That's ro.co slash For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. More details are coming to light about the withdrawal of Erica Faginski Stark's candidacy for superintendent of East Hampton Schools. The Gazette reports that on April 10th, a member of the high school's Gender and Sexuality Alliance Club contacted the mayor's office with extreme concerns. The student flagged a Facebook account that contained posts of what they described as conservative transphobic rhetoric. The posts were allegedly made by Faginski Stark, and the account has since been removed. The school committee's next meeting is slated for Tuesday, April 25th. The estimated cost of a renovation of Main Street in Northampton is skyrocketing. Originally, the project, which aims to improve traffic flow and make sidewalk and streets safer for cyclists, had a budget of $16.6 million. Now, as prices rise, the estimated budget is more than $19 million. Project costs also increased due to the aging water infrastructure underneath Main Street, which now needs to be updated. The project is funded through MassDOT's Transportation Improvement Program, with the city only required to pay for the project design. MassDOT will host a virtual hearing to discuss the street redesign on April 26th at 6 p.m. Holyoke Community College is receiving the largest gift in the school's history. A 1958 graduate of HCC has pledged to donate over $10 million to the school. Margaret Wentland and her husband Gary have included the school in their estate plan. According to a news release, the bequest is the largest single gift commitment in the college's 77-year history and one of the largest gifts ever to any community college. 
Partly to mostly sunny today, a light breeze, a little warmer, a high of 62 to 66. Variable clouds tonight, evening temperatures, upper 50s and low 60s, and then an overnight low of 38 to 44. Partly to mostly sunny tomorrow, 72 to 76. Mostly cloudy on Saturday, chance for a sprinkle on a high of 70. 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to our show. I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And this is the time of the week. It's always edifying for me when Brian Adams comes on and his science and sensibility. And what do we have today? First, Buzz, thank you for having me. Um, a shout out to the earth. Before we get going, Earth Day. As Earth Day on Sunday. No, Saturday. Saturday. Uh, April 22nd. Anyone know how, when the first Earth Day was celebrated? Guys? I, I, was, I remember. It was, I think it was like 71 or something like that. 1971. You're off by about four and a half billion years. Uh. <laughs> yes. Um, the first Earth Day was celebrated about four and a half billion years ago when the Earth was formed. Uh. Okay. Every day is Earth Day since then. The first day that humans officially celebrated, you're right, about 1970, not about, it was April of 1970. Another good year for the environment, the Environmental Protection Agency was formed in 1970, so there you go. But we're not going to talk about that today. Generally, I talk about environmental science stuff, but today we're going to delve into neuroscience, the science of the nervous system and the brain, and with us in a very specific type of neuroscience is Ted Mazinski. Ted is a classical hyp hypnotist. Uh, he has 25 years of experience in the field. Uh, he is a certified hypnotist with the National Guild of Hypnotists who knew there was such a thing, but it's the largest organization in the world of hypnotists. Uh, Ted practices at the Western Mass Hypnosis Center in West Springfield. Welcome to the show, Ted. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So hypnosis. I was riding my bike, as I do for exercise, and listening to a podcast about hypnosis, and I was fascinated. And one of the great things about uh, my doing this show is whenever I'm fascinated with something, I can bring on a guest who knows everything about it. So what is hypnosis, and how does the brain work when you're hypnotized? Well, it's a state of mind that um, basically... We are suspending the critical faculty, which is the conscious self. You and I all sitting here talking to each other. We're in a conscious state of mind. Um, the subconscious doesn't work that way. It does what you tell it to do. And w the analytical side, the conscious self, you and I talking right now, does all the questioning. That's the normal level that we operate on as humans to human. And so what we do is we suspend that. And we trust your subconscious mind uh -oh. to that make the decisions. That could be dangerous. <laughs> and this is just a, a part of us that keeps all the background information working. So your heart beating, your kidneys working, your digestion of the morning bagel you just had. Whatever is going on that needs to be done, your blood flowing, your eyes blinking, all these things are run by your subconscious mind. So each, each one of us here... And listening can be who we are by name. The person that we believe we are is that execution of it. While the body is run by the subconscious mind, we don't have to think about it. So how difficult would life be if every 30 seconds we had to, okay, Brian, breathe. You know, 
every 30 seconds, come on, what about your heart beating? What about your liver working? All, all these things would need to be consciously focused on and made to run. It's like driving a car. All we have to do is step on the gas pedal. We don't care about the pistons or the battery being properly set up to respond nowadays. So that's all there is to it, really. It's, we're dealing with the subconscious mind. Now, I was uh, cruising your, your website, and one of the things that hypnotists do is to help people with a whole variety of issues, weight loss, smoking, stress release, uh, PTSD, pain management. Yes. Um, how does that work? How can you quit smoking under hypnosis? How does, um, explain that process. Well, in reality, and any hypnotist will probably agree with this, but some might not, because um, there's a lot of schools of thought. But the idea is this. Um, people don't come to a hypnotist to be hypnotized. They come to a hypnotist to be unhypnotized. Remember that from the time of your gestation in your mother's womb to about the age of 13, a tremendous amount of information is being absorbed by your mind through the five senses, and it's all recorded and kept. Your subconscious is what keeps the, I call it a totem pole, but in reality it's what it is is your values hierarchy. In other words, during the course of those 13 years, I mean, think about it. If you have children of any kind, you'll know that somewhere around the age of 13, they, you told them to take the trash out, and they went, I don't want to. That's the first thing they objected to. After the millions of pieces of information that have been put in to their sight, their sound, their hearing, their taste, their smell. In that process, what happened? The mind, the subconscious mind starts arranging things in what is the proper order at the time that they perceive and believe. So now you have this so-called totem pole. The advantage that we have over the American Indians and their totem pole is once they decided which deity was going to be on the bottom and which one's going to be on the top, that's it. Once that thing is carved, it stays. Well, we shift from whatever place we go. Like uh, Buzz here, an attorney. So at one time he was in high school, made a decision to go to a law school. He had to shift his focus. It might have been on girls. On the other hand, now it's time to get into the books and start reading. So he changed his priorities. He moved his values to match what he wanted to accomplish. And that's what we keep in our subconscious mind. It does it automatically for us. You nailed that, uh, Ted Musinski. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just wanted, we're talking about, you began by talking about our autonomic, as I understand yes. it, nervous system, which is the thing. The that, subconscious mind, right. Right. We don't have to think about breathing. But then we sort of drifted into this realm of volition. And mm -hmm. under hypnosis, do I lose my the voluntariness of my choices? Absolutely not. In hypnosis, that's why we mentioned it at the very beginning, it's a cooperative event because you have to allow it in, okay? In other words, and it's not an, it's not an it. It's just accepting suggestions. So, for instance, every day of your life, in one time or another, you've been in a situation where you've been having a suggestion or two presented to you. Uh, one of the ways, I'm going to fall back on, on Buzz's uh, attorney side, because think about it this way. Once you became an attorney, you had to practice. And in the process of that practice, you may have been introduced to a practice. Now, you had all the education, and you passed your bar, and now you're sitting with the other attorneys who you're going to work with. And so they start to show you the ropes in every profession that exists. And the person showing you the ropes is taking you through this process of this is the way we do it here. You learned it in school, A. Now you're going to apply it, twist it a little bit, and you're going to make it work so that the DA is happy or whoever you're dealing with. And in the process of those first few weeks, months, 
all of a sudden you may have had the question run into your head where you said, how come Charlie does it this way and Jane does it that way? And they went, oh, either way is okay. As long as you do it this way, that the result is this way, it's good. And you went, oh, I can choose. Oh. And you did. And you chose a particular way. Now, six years, ten years later, you're the trainer to the new guy, new girl. And what are you doing? You're presenting your way, but now it's already been tweaked because it's got Buzz's way involved. He's not showing them both ways. He's showing them one way. Can we go back just for a second? Yeah. When a person is being hypnotized, and I assume, Brian, we're going to get to this on how you get someone in a hypnotic state, yes. what is going on? I mean, we've all seen this. You're getting sleepy. You're getting sleepy. What, what Are you asleep? Dr- drivers don't get sleepy. Yeah, no. Right. <laughs> no, no distracted drivers. We are not going to hypnotize right, no anyone one. on the show. No. Right, but I'm sitting there. I've been okay. under. You've put me under hypnosis. I'd like to know how you do that, and then I'd like to know what what am I? What am I? What am? What is that state? I know you're talking about in the subconscious. It's a trance state. Yes. What is it? A trance state is basically allowing suggestion in, and that's this. As I mentioned earlier, the suspension of the critical faculty. So what you're doing, if you've ever been in the military or anything like that, you may notice it's following directions being willing to let the directions be stated to you and then just complying with them without question. If you start questioning it, then you're still in your critical mind, your conscious self, and you're not really hypnotized yet. There's a crossover when you decide to allow that in. So I tell my clients, my potential clients is, I can't make you do anything against your character or your will. And I don't do voodoo or magic either. I can't hit your head with a magic wand and make it all go away because that's not reality. It makes a good movie, <laughs> but it's not reality. But the, but the question is, how do people get into that hypnotic state? What do you do to get people uh, into a place where they are subject to, um, to suggestions enough to quit smoking? One of the things we learn as we're kids most of the time whether it's be with schoolwork or with sports, we learn that sometimes we can produce a half-assed effort and we don't like the results. We kind of go, eh. And then we have the other side where we really put our all into something and go, oh, I like the results. I did pretty good there. I did better than I would have the other way. And we choose how much effort to put into something. And that's what we need in hypnosis. We need your heart to be in it. And if you notice anything you've done in your life where your heart is in it, you do it better. You do it well. And there's really no difference. But in this case, it's the brain that's in it, not the heart, right? You are, you are making suggestions for people to radically change behavior. I mean, smoking is an addiction that, that is just so difficult to, to get rid of. So I, I'm still confused as to how that happens. Structuring the sentences has a lot to do with it. And once they're cooperating meaning they're letting their, I want this, I got to have it, I want it, I want to change. Because you can't make somebody change against their will. So you can't fight that battle, not with hypnosis. So now, if they want to, you start creating sentences and delivery methods. This is Ericksonian hypnosis, Milton Erickson specifically. This is NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. This is Anton Kozybski from 1958 in Poland who discovered semantics. It's how you say things. For instance, and don't hold me to these numbers to be exact, but basically, 
if you take the Oxford Dictionary and mix it with the American Webster's Dictionary, you get a total between Old English and American English, you get about 750,000 words, of which 450,000, roughly speaking, are nothing but adjectives describing emotions. So we have a very rich language, and that language permits us to just look at a thesaurus. How many different synonyms can you get out of one word? How many different antonyms, okay? When you are using those properly, you can adjust so people will be able to make changes because the problem is, as you described it, the words you used is very large. So we go into small baby steps instead of super large leaps. And that's enough to get people to radically change their behavior in how many sessions does it take? One session? Well, that, that's the nature of the business. When I mentioned earlier that there was a lot of different methods of uh, hypnotists practicing, I choose to use programs because I'm looking for accountability. And that's what's kept me in business for 17 years. I used to work for other people like Tony Robbins and so on. The accountability factor is some places will just take your money. If it worked, it worked. If it didn't, it didn't. I'll give you a written service guarantee, which means that you can keep coming back until you're absolutely happy or that we accomplish what we set out to go and do. And that means sometimes repetitive sessions or a number of sessions so that we can accomplish this. We're talking with Ted Mazinski. He is a certified hypnotist with the National Guild of Hypnotists. No, we're not going to hypnotize anyone in the studio here or uh, our listening audience. Um, but Ted's talking about this fascinating issue of hypnosis as a way to transform behavior voluntarily. People coming in, say, with smoking, they want to quit smoking. It is not against their will that you are hypnotizing them into suggesting that they do this. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more about hypnosis and some of the um, amazing changes that people can undergo when under hypnosis. Uh, stay with us. Two friends having coffee together When something flies by their window It might be out on that lawn Which is wide at least half of a playing field Because there's no explaining You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. It's your home for the resistance. Tom Hartman. Weekdays at noon. Get informed, then get involved. I'm Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Program. Intelligent talk, opinion, and debate. Join me every weekday, noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1015, 1400, and 1240. WHMP. How would you like some free money? How about $1,000? Details coming Monday morning at 8.15 on WHMP. Food. Stories about food. From people who grow it, prepare it, and eat it. Field Notes. 
An afternoon of storytelling. And I didn't know this, but owls hiss. CISA, the local hero folks, welcome you to Field Notes, Sunday, April 30th at the Academy of Music. Turns out, not the only one who's ever thought about eating bugs. Spend an afternoon at the Academy with farmers, chefs, and just plain food lovers as they share stories of life in the food chain. If you look at the architecture of a dairy cow, you wouldn't think she could move very fast. I'm here to tell you that she can. Field Notes, a glimpse into the lives of the people who grow and cook the local food we love. From the poignant to the hilarious, get tickets now at the Academy of Music box office or website. Field Notes, true tales from local tables, farms, and kitchens. Sunday, April 30th at 2, Academy of Music, downtown Northampton. Take WHMP and news from the Pioneer Valley with you everywhere. Download the TuneIn Radio app and search for WHMP. It's free, it's easy, and it's wherever you are. WHMP on TuneIn Radio. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with uh, Professor Emeritus and scientist Brian Adams and his guest, Ted Muzinski, on the neuroscience of hypnosis. This is fascinating, Brian. It really is. Uh, a lot of us have been introduced to hypnosis through uh, movies, and some of it not always accurately, where, you know, someone often with nefarious means has a, a, a watch that they're, you know, twirling back and forth, you are getting sleepy, your eyes are closing, and then really bad things happen. That's really certain. Is that how it works? I mean, do you have a watch? Do you have people stare into your eyes? How do you get people into that hypnotic state so they are willing to undergo uh, suggestions that, that, that you're giving them? Well, the willingness comes from the beginning. What we said is cooperative events. So we have a pre-talk with them. We expose them what's going to happen. The watch can be used. Any focal point can be used. It can be my eyes. It can be a point on a wall or light. It really doesn't matter. It's just to get your focus. And then because the person consented and they want it, it's easier to give them suggestions at that point to take them into a trance. Nothing more complex than that. Um, And when they're in that trance, uh, you're talking about if this has a cooperative exercise. They have yes. to buy into it, the person being hypnotized. That's right. So if you want to quit smoking, but you don't really want to quit smoking, it's your partner who say, you got to quit. And you're like, oh, I'm here because my partner said, that's not going to work, right? You have nope. to really want that activity to happen. It won't work. Uh, I've had a lot of um, husbands and wives call on each other, um, not from the same family, but in in just experience where... I want him to stop, or I want her to change her ways, or I want her to give me more nookie. Um, the person that is the subject that I'm going to be working with needs to want the same thing from within. So if somebody comes, that's what the pre-talk is for, is to figure out if there is a conflict and resolve it, or not, and say, see you later. I can't help you until you change your mind, your need. You have to want it. And it has to be, that, re, that conflict has to be resolved either before the process or during the process if there's still a little conflict left of some sort because that will stop somebody from cha- making a change. And some of these changes, again, are really radical. We're talking about weight loss, smoking cessation, uh, stress relief, even PTSD. Yeah. 
Um, again, back to this sort of movie version of hypnosis. There's also the stage version. You go to a yes. Las Vegas show or mm -hmm. show at MGM down in Springfield, and there's yep. a hypnotist on stage, and they bring people up, and then people start moo, you know, being cows, or wah, 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 you know, flapping like chickens. Is, is that real? Does that, can that happen on a stage? Sure. Um, there's two forms, basically, of hypnosis. There's directive hypnosis, which is basically you shall, you must, you will, or else. <laughs> All right? Uh, there's a little fear factor involved. The other version that we use in clinical work like I do, which is called permissive hypnosis, has to do with taking little baby steps. Now, I have to be careful of saying any more about that because um, it becomes an induction, and then that could put somebody to under in, in a car or something we like that. We don't want, want to that. do that. We don't want to do that. No, but the stage show hypnosis works partially on your cooperation established a different way than a, than a traditional coming into the office type of thing. You and your wife or a partner are sitting there and you're looking at a Sunday paper and there's an ad for a hypnotist. Maybe it's at the Big E or maybe it's someplace else. And now what have you done? Uh, you said, hey, this looks like fun. Let's go. All right. Next step. So that's the first step of volunteerism, if you will. The next step is you want to order the tickets. Again, nobody's twisting your arm to do this. You've chosen. You've made a decision. Okay, now you paid for the tickets. Now comes the day of the show. Well, you got to show up if you want to, and you do. Most of the time we want, you know, what if you're going to Tanglewood or something? Like that? you got to show up or else you're not going to experience it. So now you're in the third step. You showed up. You sat in a seat. Now, if you've ever been to a show, you might have noticed that the hypnotist walks around and starts pointing to people and trying to get them up on stage before the actual um, show starts. And some people will jump up out of their chair and others will turn their head away and go, oh, I don't want to do this. Don't look at me. Okay. That person gets up there, they go up. Now the hypnotist goes and talks to them one by one and asks them a question just to see how cooperative they are. The more cooperative or hammy a person is, the better a subject they're going to be because they have to make two groups happy. They got to make the people on stage happy and the ones sitting and watching the show. That's the lifeblood of a stage show hypnotist. So again, it, it gets to this cooperation. People who Absolutely. are pulled out of the audience onto the stage have sort of exuded this cooperative spirit by showing up, being there, agreeing to do it. Um, can hypnosis be used for nefarious reasons? I mean, I think yes. of, of uh, again, the, you know, the CIA or the military or, oh, yeah. or someone. Uh, and, that, and that's a real thing? Well, they, it's a part of it. Um, I was re reflecting on this earlier with you about uh, if people want to see what's being done by those agencies, there was a, TV, a movie called The Born Identity series. Uh, Matt Damon. Matt Damon, yes. And uh, very well done, but there's a scene, I think, in the second movie where the handler talks about they're upset that he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing the way they want it done. And what they find out very quickly is that they list the five different things they did to him, and only one is cooperative. That's hypnosis. Everything else, like a frontal lobotomy, electronic lobotomy, uh, mind erasure, et cetera, these are forced techniques, methodologies that uh, they were using. And these are real names. These are real things, but they're not part of hypnosis. The hypnotic part is just one piece of the puzzle, and um, that's to get him to be cooperative. We've been talking with Ted Muzinski. Ted is a hypnotist, a certified hypnotist with the National Guild of Hypnotists. You have a business yes. uh, doing this. It's called Western Mass 
uh, Hypnosis Center. It's down in West Springfield. Uh, we have just about a, a little time left. Can you tell us about how people who are interested in uh, changing their behavior, whether it's, again, weight loss or smoking or uh, even confidence building, mm-hmm. uh, something as extreme as PTSD, how could they contact you and, and what that process is? Uh, 413-397-2699 is the phone number. The website is westernmasshypnosiscenter.com. Westernmasshypnosiscenter.com. Yep. And um, there's a contact page in that. They can leave their information or they can call, and we will uh, call them back and make a connection to have them have a free consultation, and there's no obligation there. We're a good fit. We back everything up with a full-service guarantee. I'm the only hypnotist in most of Western Mass and all of Connecticut that does that. So what do you got to lose? So a full-service guarantee. If I don't quit smoking, not that I smoke, but if I, uh, if I come in, uh, get hypnotized, I still am smoking. We'll keep working with you until we get it done. Wow, amazing. Can wow. you get Brian Adams to stop mooing? <laughs> he keeps mooing. Ooh. We can break old hypnotic suggestions as well. But I don't want to stop mooing. That's, yeah. that's the difference. <laughs> so, all about you guys are stuck then. We're stuck. Uh, we've been talking with Ted Mazinski. Ted is a master hypnotist. He has a business, Western Mass Hypnosis Center, down in West Springfield, uh, that deals with a lot of really critical issues for people wanting to change behavior, whether it's weight loss, smoking, stress relief. Uh, Ted, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to meet you all, too. Pleasure to meet you. Thank you. We'll be back with Glenn Siegel and saxophone player and clarinetist Ken Vandermark right after these messages. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. More details are coming to light about the withdrawal of Erica Faginski-Stark's candidacy for superintendent of East Hampton Schools. The Gazette reports that on April 10th, a member of the high school's Gender and Sexuality Alliance Club contacted the mayor's office with extreme concerns. The student flagged a Facebook account that contained posts of what they described as conservative transphobic rhetoric. The posts were allegedly made by Faginski-Stark, and the account has since been removed. The school committee's next meeting is slated for Tuesday, April 25th. The estimated cost of a renovation of Main Street in Northampton is skyrocketing. Originally, the project, which aims to improve traffic flow and make sidewalk and streets safer for cyclists, had a budget of $16.6 million. Now, as prices rise, the estimated budget is more than $19 million. Project costs also increased due to the aging water infrastructure underneath Main Street, which now needs to be updated. The project is funded through MassDOT's Transportation Improvement Program, with the city only required to pay for the project design. MassDOT will host a virtual hearing to discuss the street redesign on April 26th at 6 p.m. Holyoke Community College is receiving the largest gift in the school's history. A 1958 graduate of HCC has pledged to donate over $10 million to the school. Margaret Wentland and her husband Gary have included the school in their estate plan. According to a news release, the bequest is the largest single gift commitment in the college's 77-year history and one of the largest gifts ever to any community college. 
Partly to mostly sunny today, a light breeze, a little warmer, a high of 62 to 66. Variable clouds tonight, evening temperatures, upper 50s and low 60s, and then an overnight low of 38 to 44. Partly to mostly sunny tomorrow, 72 to 76. Mostly cloudy on Saturday, chance for a sprinkle and a high of 70. 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. It's the all-new Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2. Brought to you by realtor Craig Delapena. Over 18 years experience selling valley homes within 10 blocks of rail trails near parks and other conservation areas or antique and historic houses. Contact Craig at NorthamptonRealtor.com slash innovator. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster only on WHMP. Some people know how to prepare seafood. Seafood's delicate. You don't want a heavy hand. Some people have the touch. Some of those people are in the kitchen at Paul and Elizabeth's Restaurant, where there's a 40-year tradition of preparing seafood, wisdom passed along through the years. That's why when you have fish and chips at Paul and Elizabeth's, or Faroe Island salmon, or tempura shrimp with that light and lively orange ginger sauce, it's perfect every time. Fresh seafood, Paul and Elizabeth's, inside Thorns in downtown Northampton. At PV Squared Solar, we live by our mission, energizing a brighter future for people and planet. This year, we are celebrating our 20th anniversary. 20 years of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar. 20 years of relationships founded on trust and clean energy. 20 years of powerful cooperation. Thank you for the partnerships along the way, and we look forward to serving this community for 20 years more. Happy birthday, PV Squared! Learn more at pvsquared.coop. The last place any of us wants to end up is the auto body shop. But if you ever do, the people to turn to are the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. At Fort Hill, you can leave your concerns at the door. They'll work with your insurance company and return your vehicle back to you in perfect condition. Guaranteed. Look, you love your car. Fort Hill Collision Services will love it too. So for the European touch for your foreign or domestic vehicle, trust the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9 in Amherst. That beautiful tune always introduces Glenn Siegel and the incredible talents that he brings to our program in our Take 5 segment. Hello, Glenn. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'm excited to... You've got a very talented person today. Yes. I always have talented people, but today especially so. Uh, Our guest is Ken Vandermark, a composer, saxophonist, clarinetist, who grew up in Massachusetts and graduated from Natick High School. He's been a fixture on the Chicago music scene since the 1990s and can be found on hundreds of recordings as a leader and a sideman. Among other honors, he was awarded a MacArthur Fellowship in 1999. He's currently on an eight-city tour with his quartet, Edition Redux, which performs tonight at Hawks and Reed in Greenfield. Ken Vandermark, welcome to Take 5 on WHMP. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yes. Um, so the the musicians in Edition Redux are roughly half your age. Um, yes. How, <laughs> how did you put this band together, and how did you meet these young musicians? Uh, it's been a really exciting process. I was 
uh, interested in organizing a new Chicago-based group. And coinciding with that process, Chris Davis, the pianist and composer, uh, got in touch with me and let me know about a, a student of hers who was moving back to the Chicago area, uh, Lily Finnegan, a drummer, and said, hey, you should you should meet Lily and, and uh, maybe do some playing. She's really great. And I got together with her and did some sessions. And as usual, Chris was right. So that was the starting point for that. And I'd seen Beth McDonald uh, around the scene in Chicago uh, coming to concerts. And she had really good taste as far as I was concerned, because she was always at the same shows and um, invited her and did some sessions with her. And Beth's amazing. And, uh, and she's a tuba some player, change right? Yeah, she's a tuba player, uses some electronics as well. And originally the group was a quintet with cello and, and bass. And for personal reasons beyond their control, they weren't able to continue with the project as a touring group, which is one of the main things I wanted to accomplish. And we invited Erez Dessel, a, a, a pianist, keyboard player, uh, to the group. And all of them are a lot younger. Uh, Erez just uh, than me. Erez moved to Chicago in the summer of uh last year so they're actually new to the scene aside from beth who's been in chicago for about 10 years now but uh both eras and lily are like in their mid-20s and beth i think is around 30 so they're a lot younger than me mm -hmm. and it's been a really really exciting process to work with them yeah and and how how would you describe the music that this band makes um it's how is it? it's it's very expansive it's a uh, genre defying and uh, category defying it, it blurs the lines between lots of different types of music so it incorporates things connected to uh jazz uh connected to free jazz connected to funk connected to reggae um rock elements um I, I really like Tropicalia, uh, the period of Tropicalia music from Brazil, which is inclusive of lots of different forms and, t and styles. So it's very involved as far as the musicianship because they have to be able to play and realize these different kinds of aesthetics um, very deeply, and they're doing it. It's really exciting. Ken Vandermark, poor Glenn Siegel. He always prepares these segments so well, and I always jump in because I have the opportunity to talk to such talented people as you <laughs> can. How does a kid in Natick decide music is what I want to do with the rest of my life? How does that happen? Well, I was extremely fortunate. I grew up in a household where art was really important. So from the day I was born, and even now I'm at my folks' place right now, actually with the band we stayed here tonight at a gig in the Boston area. Um, I was listening to jazz, classical music, Sly Stone, uh, going to museums, seeing hundreds and hundreds of live concerts of jazz artists in particular. And uh, it was just the, the world I was in all the time. And so I was motivated to try to emulate the, the people I saw play who were extraordinary. And they were just such characters. The music was so vibrant back at that time in the 70s and, and early 80s, you know, there's still the residency. So we'd go see someone like Joe Albany at the Copley Plaza Hotel. He was there a week and we went like three or four times to see him, you know, or Art Blakey countless times. And that made it very clear that the music could always shift and change what improvisation was really about. And I've been addicted to that pursuit since uh, since I was a kid. Great. 
Um, you've been an important figure in Chicago jazz circles for over 30 years and have traveled the world forging relationships and making connections with musicians and music lovers. Um, you've created jazz scenes everywhere you've gone. Um, this is a particular interest of mine. How, how would you define a jazz scene and, and how do you do it? And tell us about the importance of creating these scenes. Um, it's very organic and it's very community based. I mean, the music that came from black American culture and innovated by black American culture and is still a deep part of black American culture has been shared with the world, you know, and I'm fortunate enough to travel around, uh, the globe, you know, and, and play the music I'm interested in, uh, with musicians of a like mind and, I think it's about sharing, you know, like I bring whatever information I've got musically and otherwise, as far as resources, economic or informational, uh, and all the people I work with are the same. And it's really a model for the way <laughs> society could work <laughs> as a collective, you know, it's a global collective, whether we like it or not. So the sooner that we face that prospect and address it, the happier this planet's going to be together, you know, and it's kind of a microcosm. I mean, the music is less known than popular music and popular culture, but it's a very effective model for how people build communities and work together on a global scale. So I think the sharing process is really organic and it's kind of like, I mean, I don't know, it's a, it's a overused analogy, but I can't think of anything else right now because it's kind of early in the morning for me. But it's like planting seeds, you know? I, I go to Sweden to work with Mats Gustafsson. He comes back to the States. We introduce each other to different musicians we like, and it just grows and grows. Or I go to Ethiopia with, with the X and, and meet Katachu Mercuria, get to play with him. I mean, if you talk about a kid growing up in Natick, Massachusetts, how... I got to where I am. I mean, I'm the path of music and sharing music and developing communities in different places led me to playing in Addis Ababa with Katacha Mercury on the National Theater stage. That's an impossible narrative. And yet it happened because of music and because of community. So um, that's in a short way, simple way maybe, explains how it's possible because it is. It's, I'm, I'm evidence of that fact. So Ken, this is Bill Newman. I am fascinated by your discussion of performing all over the globe with amazing musicians, extraordinary combinations of musicians, and it leads me to ask you how it is that we are so lucky that you are coming to Western Massachusetts, to this little city of Greenfield, to perform. I give you, it's a wonderful venue, Hawks and Reed. What brings you here? How are we so lucky to get you? Glenn Siegel. <laughs> That's the straight answer. I mean, uh, I contacted Glenn and, and he was interested in, in bringing me, you know, I, I, I go to places where people invite me, you know, I'm a guest. Oh, it's better, uh, better going uninvited. That's for sure. I can, I can see uh, that. <laughs> I do that sometimes too, actually. <laughs> Unbeknownst to the host. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's because Glenn Siegel and Jazz Shares, it's a long-standing tradition. The musicians in the scene know about it. It was a special project. I was trying to book a tour and I reached out to Glenn and he said, yes, you know, and that's why I'm coming. And we're really excited. The band uh, is incredible. Uh, it's kind of blowing my mind how fast the thing's developed and, and getting to play in front of audiences, you know, whether it's a, a big city like D.C. or playing in, in Greenfield tonight, 
uh, we attack the music with the same energy every night and because every audience is actual and important to us. You know, we're trying to share something and the one of the beauties of improvised music is that sharing process is mutual. The musicians performing it and the listeners are discovering the music as it happens in real time. And that's a beautiful aspect of it. And we're super excited to come to Greenfield and play. And I got to thank Glenn for it. That's why we're coming. Well, I want to know more about Glenn because he's pretty modest. So we're going to ask you. But before we get to that and embarrass, oh, Glenn, you look beautiful in red. I want you to know. <laughs> I, 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 I'd like to know this from you. Do you prefer performing on a big stage with a large audience or do you prefer a relatively intimate uh, kind of venue like Hawks and Reed? Well, to be honest, uh, the big stages are economic drivers that we need to to fund tours like this. Um, but honestly, I prefer the intimate spaces. I like to be right up on the audience, playing without a PA, and control the sound on the stage. I mean, tonight's super exciting because it's the first gig we've had as a band where Ares Dessel, the pianist, uh, who's normally a pianist, is actually going to have a piano to play. We've been traveling with our own equipment. He's got an amazing keyboard that has a collection of incredible sounds, kind of in the Sun Ra spectrum. But tonight, we're going to be able to play with a piano. And that's happening on the stage in Greenfield. You know, we play these other big cities, etc. So the intimacy, uh, the advantage of having an instrument that Ares is most interested in is going to open up a whole bunch of avenues for us in a setting where everybody is focused with the same kind of energy. I like that the intimate space the most. So tell us I like one, to see everybody's face. Tell us one more time what the instruments are that are being that are part of this band tonight at Hawks and Reed. It's a mini orchestra. We've got uh, Beth McDonald on tuba and electronics. So it's an electric uh, electroacoustic group, which is unusual and exciting. Uh, Lily Finnegan's playing drums. Eris Dessel is playing keyboards, and tonight also uh, he'll be able to use an acoustic piano. I'm playing uh, baritone and tenor saxophone and B-flat clarinet, so it's an incredible spectrum of, of uh, instrumental color and just a quartet. It sounds like such a great mix. We're going to take a break. We are talking with Ken Vandermark, and when we come back, Len Siegel, perhaps we can lead with What Is Jazz Shares? Just remind our listeners who don't know, and then continue our conversation with MacArthur Fellow, incredible musician, Ken Vandermark, right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, coming up right here on WHMP. Miss an episode of Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg? Want to hear the stories and perspectives of local business leaders? Click on podcasts at whmp.com. Talk the Talk, Western Mass Business Show, Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, The Hustler Files, Panorama, and more. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. The only live and local talk in the Valley, for the Valley. whmp.com. College tuition, a long overdue remodel. Credit card consolidation. Good ideas come to you every day. But now, with a home equity loan from Franklin First Federal Credit Union, you take ideas and make them come alive. Get a fixed rate of 5.74% APR for 20 years and gain control of your world again. Start at franklinfirst.org. 
Rates subject to change. Membership eligibility required. Franklin First Federal Credit Union is an equal housing lender and insured by NCUA. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Pioneer Valley's newspaper covering Holyoke to Deerfield and Belchertown to the Hilltowns, was awarded New England Newspaper of the Year for their local news coverage. Home delivered six days a week and online 24-7. Try their digital-only subscription options and stay connected with your community wherever you are. Pick up a copy on newsstands, subscribe, or visit gazettenet.com. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, covering the Pioneer Valley since 1786. WHMP is looking for organizations that regularly distribute information about employment opportunities to job applicants or have job applicants to refer. If your organization would like to receive notification of job vacancies at our station, please notify us at Careers, WHMP Radio, 15 Hampton Avenue, Northampton, Massachusetts, 01060, phone number 413-586-7400, or email jobs at whmp.com. Saga Communications is an equal opportunity employer and encourages minorities and females to apply. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And you are listening to our Take 5 segment with Glenn Siegel and um, incredible musician Ken Vandermark, who's going to be performing tonight at Hawks and Reed. But before the break, um, could you give us a little illumination for those of us who don't know what is Jazz Share and how do people get involved in it? Yeah, so Jazz Shares is a small nonprofit based in the Valley. Um, we are based on a farm share model or CSA model. So people buy shares uh, in our organization before the season, which runs September to June. And uh, for the share, they get uh, admissions to the concerts. We have full shares and half shares. And uh, we're 11 years old. We're in our 11th season and uh, I'm happy to report that uh, yesterday, uh, Jason Robinson, a great saxophonist and uh, board member of Jazz Shares, uh, gave a talk at Columbia University's uh, Institute for Jazz Studies um, about Jazz Shares. So that was really uh, nice for him to uh, get the word out. So people buy a full share. It, it's an inexpensive way to get into how many concerts are offered. Yeah, so a full share is $125 for the season, and you get 10 admissions uh, to the concerts that we do. Top flight musicians yeah, for 125 bucks 10 times. Yes, and we move all around the valley. Tonight we're in Greenfield, but we're also in Springfield, Northampton, Amherst, Holyoke. And finally, if people want to buy a jazz share, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, we have a website, jazzshares.org, and uh, you can get our schedule and uh, buy a share, become a business sponsor, and find out about the history of our organization. And one of the concerts that's being offered right now is the one that's going to be taking place tonight at Hawks and Reed with uh, Ken Vandermark and the band that he's been describing, which sounds eclectic and incredible. Yes, I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing it, along with uh, lots of others of you, I hope. Um, <laughs> I have a question. You said, Ken, that you're here because one Glenn Siegel invited you. Can you tell us, how do you guys know each other? This is a jazz world I don't... I don't, uh, I'm not part of, but I'd love to know, how do you all come together like this? And do you go back decades, or is this a, is this a new love of your life? Uh, it goes back uh, several years. My chronology is always bad because I do so much traveling and things start to blur. But, I mean, it's years ago that, I think it was, was it with Ab Bars, Glenn? 
Um, no, I'm trying to think now. Well, we did a you did a duo with uh, Nate Woolley. Nate Woolley. Um, mm-hmm. and it was about five years ago or so. Yeah, a little. Yeah, even more. Yeah. Okay. okay. And where was this? You guys were at a concert. You 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 were introduced by mutual friends. What happened? Well, um, I've known about Ken for many years. I have lots of uh, shelf space uh, devoted to his recordings. So, um, you know, Ken Vandermark is a hero of mine. So when the opportunity to uh, present him rose, uh, I jumped at it, of course. And uh, the concert with Nate Woolley was at UMass, part of uh, uh, my work there for the Fine Arts Center. So, yeah, so I, I met Glenn through him getting in touch about doing a show because I mean, I'm based in Chicago, so you know, my knowledge of all the different scenes in different locations and Massachusetts, etc., is limited to who contacts me about stuff or if I'm reaching out to book a tour like this. So, it's really because Glenn's knowledge of the music and enthusiasm for it as an organizer that you know kind of brought me in contact with him. And uh, it's kind of gone from there, which is why I reached out to him for uh, this tour. Mm-hmm. So you received a MacArthur when you were in your mid-30s. Um, how did this major award impact your career? Uh, I can't define it because it impacted it in so many different kinds of ways. I mean, a primary way was the economics. I suddenly had resources that I never had and won't have again for five years. I had the ability to bring many musicians from Europe to the United States, uh, book tours, fun recording projects. You know, I had a band called the Territory Band for that period, and all the rehearsal. We actually actually pay musicians for rehearsal time, which is unheard of in this in this business, so to speak. Um, and it really was. Like the experiences I had, like going with the Peter Brooks in Chicago Tentet in a Nightliner bus around the United, you know, the East Coast and Midwest. I mean, it was a priceless, priceless experience. I was the tour manager on that trip, learning every step of the way, and all of those experiences inform what I'm doing today. And like running this tour now, I'm a tour manager for this quartet, you know, and knowing how to do it, how to make it uh, cost effective. I mean, it, it is. Without the funding, without the money, you can't do the art, you know. And uh, that funding from the MacArthur Foundation enabled a lot of things to take place over a five-year period. That and the reverberations now are continuing. The, the the associations I made or had before the MacArthur were built and made more deep uh, during that period, and those relationships continued uh, until now. So it's a it was a priceless gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Could I ask about the pricelessness of it? How much money does a recipient of the MacArthur Award receive? And are there any restrictions uh, on when you spend it on? Well, part of it is it's a prize. It's not a grant. Like sometimes people think it's a grant that needs to be spent on on the, the work you do. And it goes to all kinds of creative people, whether they're philosophers, scientists, you know, musicians, writers. Um when I received it, they they gave the prize was different amounts of money. They kind of decided uh, somehow like how much funding would be allotted, uh, but you can use it on anything, you know. And I was extremely fortunate 
because my partner is is a pediatrician and we had enough um, money to make things work at home and I could take by far the majority of that money and, and put it into my music and the music I do with other people. And uh, that was, I had that choice, you know, many people uh, not in my position, you know, can use it to, to put a down payment on a house, you know, buy a car, get health insurance, you know. So the beauty of it is it can be for anything that the individual needs it to be. Um, the amount of money, I think now it's like standardized. I think it's $500,000 over. I think it's six twenty nine when I looked this morning. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, I'm behind the times. <laughs> so, you know, it, it changed. I mean, at the, that point, I was the youngest mus musician to receive it. And they are very thankful because when they called me up and I was in the middle of a tour when it happened and told me I had been uh, selected for the prize, they made it very clear that they were giving it to me in an unusual circumstance at that time because previously it went to people like, you know, Cecil Taylor, uh, it, well, master musicians. Yeah, Ken, I mean, we could listen to you all day long, but instead we're going to have to cut this conversation okay, off. Okay, sorry. No, please. We're going to be listening to you tonight. So tell us one more time, Glenn. Yeah, so tonight at 7.30 at Hawks and Reed in downtown Greenfield. You can get advanced tickets and find out information at jazzshares.org. Ken, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you uh, a in a few hours. And Ken, thank you for the gift you give all of us, just be not just tonight, but all the time. Uh, this, thank, thank you, you very for much. Our pleasure. Thank you for joining us, listeners, on Talk to Talk. And remember, let's walk the walk. Emotions and experiences play an important role in our financial decision-making. Every Saturday morning, hear real-life stories and positive solutions to issues we all face when it comes to our relationship with money. Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Francis Rayum, Saturday mornings at 8.30 on 101.5, 1400, and 12.40, WHMP. For some kids, home isn't a safe place. And in these times, access to trusted adults like teachers and counselors is limited. I'm Kara McElhone, Executive Director of the Children's Advocacy Center of Hampshire County. Our mission is to prevent and end child abuse in our community by providing safety, healing, and justice. The Children's Advocacy Center is open in providing resources to children and caregivers throughout Hampshire County. Please visit us online at cachampshire.org or call 413 5 on Northampton Radio Group Station. It's